0: Hi, and thank you for tuning in to Closing the Gap with Denise Cooper. Me and my podcast are proud members of the syndicated C-suite network radio, the largest radio network focused on helping executives do better and be better.
1: I think we have to look at it in the sense of showing that we all have a role to play. Um, Back to what you were saying about the heroic model, like if it's just a one person doing this, one person changing this, if it's, if it's only about one person, where's the responsibility and accountability for everybody else? We have to tell stories in a way where we all become accountable, we all become responsible, and we, we are all held to a level of transparency. Because if it isn't inclusive in that manner, who are we truly benefiting?
0: Hi, this is Denise Cooper, and you're listening to Closing the Gap with Denise Cooper. You just heard some words from my guest today, Dante Carter, who's the president of Carter Media Group out of Atlanta. One of the most remarkable things about the conversation I had with him is that he shares how, for him, having a clear voice motivated him to take a huge risk and leave a job where he was doing very well to start telling the stories of others so that their voices could be heard and we can change the world. If you've been following me then you know that I believe it is the power of conversation and our ability to listen to one another well, to tell stories that are relevant and powerful that moves us in not only our performance, but our relationships with each other and those are the keys to success. Conversations that matter, conversations that change the trajectory of our performance and relationships and take us to a place where we can be happy. And with that, my guest, Dante Carter.
2: Dante, how you doing? I'm doing well. I'm
1: doing well. How are you doing?
2: I am fine, fine, trying to duck and dodge all this rain we're getting, <laughs> as well as learn to live in this uh, quarantine world. <laughs>
1: yeah, it's been a lot of adjusting, a lot of adjusting.
2: And that is what makes life interesting, isn't it, is our ability it, it is. to adjust. <laughs> To the unexpected. It was so funny. I
1: was sitting here working, working in my home office, and you know, when you called, I had my daughter in my lap, and as you heard her, she was just kind of talking, and she's like, "Dada, Peppa, Peppa." So it's like, well, let me get her in her room, let me get her on some Peppa, so we can, you know, get this situated, so she's distracted, I can talk to you, and it's just, it's just so much juggling, and I'm sitting here just counting down the days until daycare opens back. <laughs> Well, good luck.
2: It is no joke for uh, having a two-year-old. I have I have to raise twin girls, Um, so I had stereo in my ear. One would come in, and then you know, five minutes later, the same conversation. If I wasn't paying attention, I'd swear I was having déjà vu all day long. (laughs) (laughs) So, uh, for my listeners, for the people here, tell us tell us something about you. So, what? What made you decide to say my previous career wasn't the track that I was supposed to be on? Give us a little bit about your previous career, but really, you know, the podcast is about change. It's about, you know, suddenly I decided I didn't get what I wanted. Talk to us a little bit about that.
1: You know, it's so funny, and I'll start a little bit with my previous career, and then I'll jump into the story. You know, I I started working in television news when I was 19 years old. I was going to school during the day, and I ended up getting this job at 4 in the morning as this video editor. Came in, did a great job, was quickly promoted, was running the morning show as a 21-year-old senior in college. And I'm I'm just, you know, I, I saw my mother work so hard that because that was all I saw, that's all I really knew how to do was just continuously give that effort. And mm-hmm. so um I went from there, decided, you know what, I wanna be on air, I wanna report, I wanna anchor, so I transitioned to do that. I did it for gosh, I mean, I was in the industry for almost ten years and then I got another great opportunity to go work at the DA's office here in Fulton County, largest DA's office in the uh, state of Georgia, and I was the youngest guy to ever come in and <laughs> and take the helms. And so mm-hmm. it was it was definitely a challenge. Got a lot of exposure. DA needed help telling his story on social media. That's what I came in to do, and you know, when I saw that I just almost instantly took his reach from just reaching a couple of hundred people to over two hundred thousand, it was just like, Okay, the stories are resonating <laughs> and um and what do I want to do with it? And I think where that culminated was um I was sitting in uh in trial and I saw four young men and they were accused of murder. I remember the victim's mother took the stand and she said, my, so my son came to me in a dream and said that you guys have the wrong men on trial. And I remember just feeling like a, you know, just a, a big pack, pack of cement just hit me in the chest and I couldn't imagine, you know, being 14 years old, being on trial for murder, hearing my attorney fight for me saying you got the wrong guys, they didn't do it, and then the victim's mother taking the stand. I mean, and saying something is my son came to me in a dream, you know, that's, it's just so, Yeah, wow. you know, it's just so out there. And so I remember coming in and I was listening to the discussion that was being had and remember hearing the DA ask his prosecutor, you know, did we track the movements of those kids? Where were they? Yada, yada, yeah. yada. Turns out they, all the young men had cell phones on them. They, they tracked the cell phones and, and they weren't in the area and uh, right. the judge had ruled the mistrial. And in that moment it kind of hit me. And so, you know, a little bit about me is I grew up in a single-parent, working-class household. I grew up seeing my mother work hard, as I mentioned earlier, but I grew up also having to be kind of her second-in-command. I I remember seeing the kids that I went to school with and just just seeing those two different paths, those who were able to, despite the circumstances, stay on that right path and those who weren't. And I remember just wishing, you know, as I read these these Marvel comic books, that there was a hero that would... <laughs> come and sweep the young men out of the hood, you know, just save mm-hmm. us, you know. And I think that moment when I saw that mistrial is when that voice deep inside of me reminded me of of, of that calling I had as a child of, of wanting to be that advocate, wanting to be that voice and, and wanting to make sure that I could tell stories in a way that allowed the world to see the humanity of these young men. You know, in a nutshell, that's that's where it came back to me. It was in that moment that I heard the the young Dante say, remember, we needed somebody to speak for us. I thought about all the work that I, I had been able to do in journalism, the work I had been able to do in politics. And I said, you know what? Why don't I veer a little bit and see what work I can do in this space as well?
2: But you were on such a uh, great track of- <laughs> You know, one, I mean, really, you were really kind of, you established career, you had established network, they knew who you were, and I often say that people know us from the day they met us. Yeah. And they don't necessarily see us grow and evolve, because that's an internal thing. Yeah. And when we do, a significant portion of those folks fight back, because they don't like change either. Yeah. And so they try to hold you with love, oftentimes, trying to help you see the risk of, of shifting from such a successful track to some that is an unknown to them. What yeah. what got you to say, and and I'm sure it wasn't like a moment, a stroke of genius, right? What got yeah, you to you know, say, <laughs> you know what, I'm going to, uh, no, I, I think, I think I'm going to try this.
1: You know, I, I think what gave me the confidence, honestly, is, My wife was six months pregnant, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: and um, I remembered going into my boss's office, and he said, you know, uh, the DA, he said, you just, I don't see that same drive in you. Like, what is happening? And he was like, if you can't give me what you gave me when you first walked in this door, Mm -hmm. then we've got to make some changes. And, and, you know, what changes are going to be made? And in that moment, I was just, you know, I went back into my office, and, I felt like it was one of the moments where I was like, "Oh, let me just rededicate myself. Let me just step it up even more and, and prove, right. you know, X, Y, and Z." But I remember just texting my wife, and she was like, "You know, if this is what you need to do. I, I support you." And it was it was that support that you know encouraged me. And I'm sitting in there and I'm typing up my two weeks notice, and um, I just walked in and told him it was a pleasure working for him, but I need I I, I needed to go, and um. I think at the root of that, because I wasn't, by myself, I wasn't strong enough. And um, I think just hearing my wife's words of encouragement, just reading what she had to say in that text message that day, just inspired me um, to really just be bold enough. And, you know, when I look at her life, when I look at, um, you know, what her father's been able to do, like just being able to see the risk that they took in order to get to where they are, emboldened me in a sense to say, you know what? Let me step outside of this track. Let me see what path I can create. Because for me, it's it's one of the things that I promised myself when I was young is I wanted to leave a legacy. I wanted mm-hmm. to do something that was going to, um, that was not just going to change my life, but change the lives of the young men that were coming up behind me. And it was it was so funny um, because last year, um, last week, you know, I won an international PR award. And I'm sitting over here and I'm just blown away. And i told my wife i was like you know what does this do to the young men that grew up in the neighborhood that i'm from to where it's not just entertainment or athletics but i can i can kind of carve out this lane and i can use (laughs) i can use this tool that that god gave me my brain and really strive to make a difference and that's all that i just kept thinking about and so it just you know for me it just adds another layer when i'm going out and i'm speaking and i'm mentoring is i want to be that change i want to leave a legacy and I I you know I know it started you know way before me with God I'm a very spiritual person you know um I believe in faith but I believe you also need to push sometimes and mm-hmm. just seeing the words that my wife wrote to me just really put me over the top and, and gave me the courage to to brave the brave what I needed to brave to to get rolling
2: to make that change yeah. um I of I often tell my clients to be careful who's whispering in your ear
1: yeah. <laughs> they're, they're, right.
2: I mean they're either whispering in your ear to be safe and stay the same, like your boss.
1: Yeah.
2: Or they're your wife whispering saying, I believe that whatever you choose, you have the power and the strength to make it work.
1: Yeah. And and that that voice for me mm-hmm. was the most was the most powerful voice there. I'm sorry about that. But um yeah, that, that you know, I, I tell her often, I, I can't thank her enough, and uh, you know, and I and that's what I strive to be for her as well, is that that yeah. voice of encouragement and and uh, just being able to help make a difference.
2: So you, you mentioned just a minute ago, or so that you had been you were sitting and accepting the international award.
1: What was the award for? Man, it's um, it's so amazing and so. Um, my uh, my company, Carter Media Group, worked with the attorneys that represented the families in the uh, in that case against R. Kelly, mm-hmm. and uh, it was it was a you know difficult case in terms of being able to uh, share the the stories of, of the families and of the girls in a way that drove action. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, for <laughs> for a long time, there 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 wasn't much traction. Um, right. But as we started to hone in. More on on bringing these 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 voices and these stories to life. We saw the the BBC come over, and they did a um, they did a docu series, and we saw Lifetime do a docu series. And as as it got clearer and clearer, the crimes that were committed and what actually happened, you started to see um, the different other media outlets who came in and, and started. And so I was looking back, and so they 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 um, they gave me a gold award. For a campaign for social responsibility Mm -hmm. and then um i ended up getting two silver um awards as well for just the work we did on social media and really telling their stories and so again just being able to kind of step into this space really acknowledge those those voices acknowledge the pain and being able to tell those stories in the way that drove that drove traction which was alerted federal authorities to the crimes that were being committed and uh just again being able to make that change and um and drive that little, that awareness.
2: How if you had to think back over it, how long did it take you to get that momentum?
1: Oh, you know, um it took some time. I think um here in the States when uh surviving dropped, it was it was almost immediate, you know, but prior to that I mean, we're talking about <laughs> six months, you know, a year. I mean, it was just, it was just a lot. And um, again, I was kind of grateful that we were able to get that, get that momentum and sustain it.
2: So it took six months. at least a year.
1: Yeah, um, well, that's that's when I came in when I was yeah, in. Yeah, I was gonna say, I mean, yeah, parents,
2: told, you know, told, yeah. How long have they been doing this?
1: I mean, they've they were at it for about four years. You know, okay. then you. have You've got the stuff around the that had happened prior. So I mean there were all these different kind of pockets of cases which I think I, I saw one news article and they were saying it took over twenty years to get to this point. You know, and it's I mean, it's just a lot. And uh, you know, I was I was grateful to be a part of of that push for for change. I mean I, you know, that, that voice for accountability, transparency, it's yeah. just it's so loud right now. And um you know, I was really, you know, this was, it was so funny because it was a conversation I had with my wife. I'm sitting over here, I'm looking at the case file, I'm reviewing everything that the attorney sent over to me, and all I could think is, man, this is going to take a while. You know, I mean, at this point, he hadn't been charged. It was, I mean, there was just, legally, there was nothing going on at this point. Right. And uh, I just remember talking to my wife, and I was like, man, I, I don't even know how to charge this thing. I don't know what it's going to cost, I mean, because... Immediately, there's nothing going on right now, and I just remember her sitting in silence and I was like, "Babe, are you okay?" She was just silent, <laughs> and I said, "Babe, are you okay?" Mm-hmm. and she mm-hmm. said, "You know at some point mm-hmm. um you know women we need our fathers, we need our brothers, we need our husbands, we need our cousins we We need for you to for you all to to really look at this issue and 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 recognize that there's a problem, like I don't care about the money." What I care about is making sure that these young women's voices are heard. And I, I, I feel like that's not happening here. And I remembered it just kind of broke something in me. And then, you know, when she followed up and she said, you know, your daughter's gonna grow up in this world too. And I remember thinking, you know what? What is it that I'm not seeing? What is it that I'm not really focusing on? And it took me it it took me really listening and having these discussions with my wife to realize, you know what? I've I've got to take ownership in this space because mm-hmm. although it wasn't me that 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 allegedly did these things, right? Like there was a person that looked like me that right. that had my privilege that did these things, and I've got to I've got to lay my privilege to the side so that I can so that I can be be a vessel and be able to help. And I, I think once I was able to do that, once I was able to hear what she was saying, and and sitting back and hearing the parents and and just thinking, you know what if if my daughter was going through this, how would I respond? Right. What would I do? And it really just changed the way I even saw the case and changed the way I messaged. Mm-hmm. And um, and as I changed the way I messaged, it changed the way I told these stories. And mm-hmm. you really started to see things elevate.
2: What's really um, so powerful and magnificent about what you just said is that oftentimes we think that leadership is about this one moment, this heroic That saves us. Leadership is really about, and and the ability to change a direction is really about the soul searching of what is it I'm trying to do? Why is it important to me? And then somehow finding that connection, that powerful connection that just moves you, and then the words show up, and the consistency shows up. Because if you if I think about it, you know, four years, probably longer than four years. These people, these women, these mothers, these fathers, these, these, these victims and all of their family have been telling this story for years, but couldn't crystallize that story. And you say it only took you a year and a half, which I think it is the power of knowing or going through that kind of, of internal what, why I'm doing it. Not the how, because I think oftentimes we focus on the how am I going to do this. But once you get clear on what it is you want to do, what's the change you want to see and why that change matters and to whom,
1: yeah,
2: the how shows up.
1: Yeah, it does.
2: And I think many times, you know, in workplaces, what we focus so much on is the, you know, we need the numbers, we the logic, the logic of why we're in business yeah but not the emotional connection for why we're in business
1: yeah and that's
2: where things go wrong particularly you know most people who know me you know more than just the podcast know that diversity is not one of my i don't like the way we've been training diversity for the last 50 years because it is the heroic model yeah and there's there's little power in the heroic model now if the fire if you know the old story of if there's a fire you come in, you don't want a democratic conversation about it. You want people to move. But true change and cultural change in an organization doesn't happen that way. Yeah. And you got to be up for the change. Leadership is, is really dangerous because yeah. if you're a leader asking us to do something different, people are people are not going to just suddenly go, oh, yeah, I'm signing up for that because, you know, you've got the title that says you can do that. And I say that to kind of create a platform of, as you think about what happened and how you have been able to change minds, create the momentum for change, not just with the R. Kelly story and those women's story, but back at the DA's office when you were a young editor <laughs> in front of the show. How do we need to, as a group of people, particularly leaders rethink how we look at the power of storytelling in the workplace
1: i think we have to look at it in the sense of showing that we all have a role to play um back to what you were saying about the heroic model like if it's just a one person doing this one person changing this if it's if it's only about one person where's the responsibility and accountability for everybody else mm-hmm. and uh it's al- it's almost though it's like okay we're talking about Jackie Robinson and him integrating baseball Mm-hmm. And folks are saying, like, he was he was so good, he had to integrate it, when the truth of the matter is Jackie wasn't any better than any of the other uh, Negro baseball players at the time. You know what I'm saying, yeah, the black yeah, men that yeah, were yeah. playing? He like, they were picked. all talented. He just yeah. got picked. What would have happened if they would have tried to step on that baseball diamond before he, they were allowed to step on there? They would have been mm-hmm. carried off by police. Mm-hmm. And so the way that instead of telling the story of the man who integrated baseball we, we, we have to look back at, no, he was the man who was first allowed to play baseball. We have to acknowledge mm-hmm. that nobody else was allowed to play first. And so when we start talking about diversity and in, inclusion. We have to accept the fact that, you know what, the folks who are the, the power holders, they make the decisions. Well, what decisions are they making and how does it, how does it impact that bottom? Because it, it wasn't just about Jackie being better. It was the fact that he was the first that was allowed to play. He was the one that was picked to come in and play first. And so when it comes to integration, you have to look at the whole of it. And so going back to that diversity in training and training and the point that I'm making is we have, to, we have to tell stories in a way where we all become accountable, we all become responsible, and we, we are all held to a level of transparency because if it isn't inclusive in that manner, who are we truly benefiting
2: in that everyone taking responsibility and being accountable know, I, I want to make it clear that or at least from my point of view diversity isn't necessarily about race and sex and sexual orientation and national origin religion etc what the law per se says there's diversity in even having people who have no education versus people who have education correct and what our perception of what good is often limits us. Yeah. One of the times, you know, I worked for a company when, you know, HR was, you know, the best HR, we, you know, we track, we get profiles on everyone and we have everyone fill out the profiles, et cetera. And this was this one leader, he was vice president, merged his organization in with ours. And he was brilliant. He was a brilliant businessman. Everyone was like, oh, yeah, he's got to be one of the role models. Well, he kept ducking and dodging me on getting the profile fix finished. Mm-hmm. And I couldn't figure out, what what's, what's the deal? White man, been in business, I don't know, 40 years, started as a kid, you know, all mm-hmm. of these role model things. And I'm thinking, what's, what's the problem here? I don't understand what the problem is. And so finally I sat down with him. I said, hey, you know, we, we kind of have to get this done because if, The leaders don't role model transparency. It's not going to work. Yeah. And all the color rolled out of his face. And he (laughs) said, and I was like, okay, I I really, my first thought was, you don't believe in transparency. You don't believe in, you know. (laughs) you don't think this is a good idea so i yeah. start formulating that sales call right <laughs> getting my armor together because i'm ready to convince him <laughs> but something said let silence do the work for you mm. and i was like okay well just just sit here and wait a minute and just look at it and see what happens because i'm a black female he's white male Higher in the organization than I am, certainly much more powerful. Blah 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 blah. All of the, All for me. All the ta- all the cards are on the table. But if I don't get him on, the whole transparency, opportunity for careers, you know, moving the needle any which way towards a high performing organization is going to work. Yeah. And he looked at me. He lowered his head and said, "I only have a high school degree. Mm. If everyone finds out that I didn't go to college." I won't be a role model. I won't be respected any longer because everyone else in the organization, we had Harvard grads, Washington, you know, I had a degree from Washington University, my MBA from there, Chicago, you know, I mean, top schools. And here was this one person who had achieved everything he needed to achieve through experience, hard work, conviction, because he loved the work, he loved the business. And now he was faced with, opening up his kimono about the one thing that he was ashamed of. I think that was one of the few moments that really changed me about how the stories that or the culture and the stories cuz culture is nothing more than the stories we tell each other. Yeah. actually does change and or hold the, or binds us
1: needlessly. Yeah. And you know it's so as you were saying that all I could think about is you know who told them. That his level of education wasn't good enough. You know, yeah. I, I often sit back and and I'm I'm just a big history buff, and I sit back and I ask the question of, you know, the the men who who founded this country, the men who did all this work. Just what what was their level of education? I mean, we we didn't have the universities and everything here, mm-hmm. and so how did you how did you deem who was who was top tier versus who wasn't, and right. you, you know it, it just really it, it comes back to those stories that we can tell ourselves. And then, and I think if if the story we tell ourselves is you know you just have a high school diploma or you didn't graduate top ten year class you're not good enough. I mean the reality is I mean just based upon the statistics and the numbers that that most business owners most entrepreneurs they don't they don't graduate college with three point not even not even high school they just don't they're not wired to think that way right and so it was it was how he trained himself to think that allowed his work ethic to shine and i think you know back to your point about um diversity it's it's about allowing it's about allowing ourselves to acknowledge that there's more than just one way to do a job and we don't all have to look the same in order to get that done and and being able to just reinforce those those stories by using people like him who've been able to to get over those hurdles
2: and that, and that was the beauty of it to be able to challenge the pre- prevalent thought yeah and from our hiring practices are we really looking at the best and brightest hmm. or are we looking for some model of what we think will give us the best and the brightest yeah the, the difference between really hearing what has this person achieved and how they thought about that how did they twist and turn because no business is static society is not static your life is not static it's true how do you hear that in the interview versus oh they went to this school they worked for that company they've um, worked on this system the acquisition of knowledge versus understanding how the application of that knowledge changes things delivers results and I think if we can't get our head wrapped around this, then we're gonna be stuck. And coming post COVID, one of the things I've noticed is there are a lot of people who were are calling and talking to me about. They're exactly where you were when you made the decision to leave the DA.
1: Yeah. And you know, in this it's so funny because um I I really enjoyed this COVID space and I was sitting down, um, you know, talking to my my accountant. And he was just telling me how many, you know, how many, how many cutbacks he's had to make just because his business seemed to tank. And he was just like, you know, but I was looking at you and you seem to just be on par. Like you haven't dropped. You're not super, you know, you're not running over. Like, what are you doing differently? And I, I think it's 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 that to what we're talking about that thinking out of the box. Because mm-hmm. if you're if you're thinking in the same traditional way, you're going to get the same traditional results. But if the world around you is changing, you have to change with the world. Mm-hmm. And um, it was funny. I was sitting down talking to a, a VP of one of the largest PR firms in Canada. She and I met because she just caught me out of the blue one day when she found out it was my company on the R. Kelly case and just wanted to pick my brain. I remembered her saying as we were talking about COVID that business hasn't stopped. It's just shifted. And the people who are going to come out of this the most successful are going to be the ones who understand the shift. And I, I think when we think about that and we think about diversity, if you really want to know what somebody is about and, and what they know how to do, I think the best thing to ask, one of the questions that I'm always thinking of, is, well, how did you come to a certain solution? Like what, mm-hmm. you know, like we understand that there were roadblocks there, but how did mm-hmm. you? what did you see around it? How did you get to that conclusion? Mm-hmm. And I mean, I, I just, for me, those have always been the questions that have um, inspired me because it's not just about who I am on paper, but it's mm-hmm. about what what's going on upstairs. What, what are mm-hmm. you thinking about? How do you address mm-hmm. situations? How do you overcome challenges? Mm-hmm. And those, I think the more that we can ask those questions, because there are some people that I know haven't graduated top of their class, some who may only have high school uh, diplomas, but they think outside the box. And mm-hmm. I just think when you're talking to a person who, it's so intuitive and constantly looking at overcoming challenges. It's, it's just, in my opinion, it's just it's difficult to teach that. You know, it's, it's yeah. something that yeah. you, you get early and you yeah. just continue to build on.
2: And my work is that before they could even think outside, create the habit, because it yeah. becomes a habit it of does. thinking outside of the box. There's some internal trigger, some feeling trigger that says thinking outside of the box is a safe thing to do. Mm. That no matter what happens, I will land on my feet. Yeah. And so they frame, you know, they frame the question very differently than people who haven't made that internal trigger yet, haven't flipped over. When I interview, and I'm not always sure how I would frame the question, but I knew I was looking for that internal trigger that... um, you know, I had a boss one time who, who said, you know, we since Matt spent 20, 25, 30 years, and I didn't know it, but when I was starting my business, one of the things he said is that Denise never knew, never heard no. She always heard not yet. Yeah. <laughs> and, and that's the trigger. Yeah. When somebody says, well, we may not know how to do this, but could articulate the this. That was the yeah. person that you knew that at least was in the zone of being yeah. able to solve the problem. And that is what the essence of storytelling is.
1: Yeah.
2: It's understanding what the this is we want to become, but having that trigger of not yet first. Yeah. So that you keep working that story. You keep saying, okay, what does that look like? And then maybe it's, you know, you sprinkle in patience, you sprinkle in faith, you sprinkle in. Perseverance or resilience, but it is that gnawing in the not yet.
1: Yeah.
2: I think that makes the difference. And because you have such a gift in storytelling, which I think 21st century, that is the difference. That's the only thing I've seen over the last, you know, 10, 15 years is beginning to make a difference, particularly with social media. Yeah. The people who can tell the same story consistently in many different ways over a period of time. Their voice gets heard.
1: Yeah, and you know that's that's one of the things that I, I speak to my clients about because you know it's so easy for them to look across social media and see all these different things going on, and they start to say, "Oh, well, what about this? What about this? What about this?" And I'm I come back to, "What about your story? Mm-hmm. And how are we going to tell it?" Because to me, that's the most that's the most important thing. And I I'm working on a campaign here in Fulton County right now, and I remembered seeing all of these campaign videos come out. And I remember telling the candidate, we're not telling your story like that. And she said, okay. She mm-hmm. said, well, I, she said, all right, we'll see how you tell it. She was like, I trust you. I'll trust you. I'm going to step aside and let you do what you do. And it was so funny because, you know, we led with what motivated her to run for the position that she's running for. Mm-hmm. And it was so funny, but many of her peers called her. And they said it was just something about that video that that tugged at us, and and it was it, it didn't look like any other campaign video, mm. and it really it really just hit us in the chest, <laughs> and, and it really just it really allowed us to see not only why you're running for this position, but why you became an attorney, and the story behind it is because her her father was murdered at, at seven years old, mm. and she her father's uh, killer. <laughs> You know, never never went to jail, never saw a day in court. She was a seven-year-old girl that kept asking the world, what about me? What about my feelings? What about my voice? My daddy's gone. You know, it. we we ended up going back to her, her childhood home where her father lived. And, you know, she started telling the story. She just broke down. You know, my, my whole point for her is I just, I, I wanted her to see that, you know what? Your why is always going to be bigger than what you do.
0: And yeah. I think that the more yeah. that
1: people see why you yeah. do it, yeah. they can get behind what you're doing. Yeah. And just to really see, just to see her kind of go from from being this this underdog to her climbing up and and seeing the polls and different things change, it's been really encouraging. You know, we we got this election coming up June 9th, and um, but just just seeing that that change and and just the work that went in and right. and even just the perception of her just. Here in Atlanta changing and, and, and people wanting to root for her, you know, when I when I heard her story, I said, that's it. That's what we need to talk about.
2: What's the story that we begin to tell on a local level
1: that
0: begins to pull people back and get them outside of their individual versus the individual story that's wrapped up in their head?
1: You know, it's so funny that you say that. And as you were speaking about that, I was thinking about a trip to the grocery store that, that I recently took. Mm-hmm. and um, I remember, you know, waiting in line to go into this grocery store. Um, but outside the grocery store, there was this young man, and he had the wipes in his hand. He was just wiping down all the carts. As folks walked um, walked up, he, you know, passed them the cart, and they, they'd go into the store. And, you know, he just, that's all he did the entire day was just wipe down carts. I remember the gentleman that was just ahead of me, and uh, as as he walked over to grab the cart, he he looked at the young man and said, "You know, don't ever let anybody ever tell you your job's not important. You are literally <laughs> saving lives right now. You young man are saving lives." And I I, I think that it's it's going to be a lot of us changing the way that that we look at different positions. And I mean, to sit back, I mean, it's so easy in our minds to to look at the young man uh, wiping down carts or running out to the parking lot and bringing carts in. And really devaluing their job but i think what mm-hmm. this has shown us is that we're all important and we all have a story mm-hmm. and i just often wonder what was that young man thinking as he was just you know wiping these cards down was this just the job to him or you know did he did he feel that that um
2: uh he may have saved somebody's life
1: yeah you know that that you know i'm saving people's lives here i mean to hear that older gentleman say that i was just like wow because it was so sad but I, I wasn't even thinking that until I heard it. <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. And I think that I think that those stories that, 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 that we're gonna have to that we're gonna have to tell is 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 the stories of people helping people, people saving people. Because these are the things that, that are making a difference. You know, my um my wife is a is a OBGYN and you know, she's she um one of her patients is a is a pregnant doctor who was mm-hmm. seeing COVID folks. I remember my wife was telling me that um you know, uh, this other doctor came in, she wanted to check on her baby, and she was so worried because she wasn't really exposed to COVID, but she was in the presence of it. And so she was just, well, what about my baby? What about these things? And, you know, my wife's mind, she was like, well, you just, you know, you were just in this environment, and then you come to see me. And, you know, what about my family? And there's there's all of these, like, people have, they have all of these different thoughts. You know, you've got that that simple, you know, uh, thought of humanity, like the older gentleman where he was just reminding this young man that he is saving lives. Um, Then you've got my wife who's, you know, doing her job. Then you've got folks who are owners and entrepreneurs who are figuring out, trying to find out, okay, how do I keep my doors open? And again, I just think that, you know, I don't think this is a conversation about livelihoods versus lives. I just think it's a conversation about people.
0: And Mm -hmm. I think the more
1: that we can get back to the humanity of this story, the easier it's going to be to get back into the world and get the currency going again. Mm
2: -hmm. I think you're right. And on that, I can't believe it's time to say goodbye.
1: (laughs) (laughs) You know, I really enjoyed the conversation. I've enjoyed us being able to talk and, and, and just being able to, despite what we do, getting back to the humanity of our own stories. And so oh, yeah. I really appreciate you um allowing me on your platform and being able to speak on it.
2: I believe so much in the conversation. Yeah. And the fact that and I mean the real conversation, not the breaking it down to, you know, one person asking questions and the other person listening, but the the ability to self manage. Yeah. Stop that conversation in your head, but still have your focus on who you are, the why, as you said, the why I'm here. I think that's what makes great conversations, even in the face of, you know, we live in a world, everyone wants to say either or, but we really live in a world, and we don't like that because it's messy.
1: Yeah. Well, you know, it's the duality of humanity. You know what I'm saying? It's, It's both sides. We're all in this together, and, you know, I think the more that you can look at the full picture of things, the more that you can actually see it. Yeah.
2: What's the best way for our listeners to get a hold of you if they want to have (laughs) a conversation with you?
1: You know, they can uh, follow me on on all the social media platforms Mm -hmm. at uh, Dante Carter. It's D-O-N-T-A-Y-E, and our last name Carter, C-A-R-T-E-R. Yeah, I'd love to connect, love to um, converse, and love to hear their stories.
2: You got it. Well, folks, I can't believe we've come to the end of another podcast. Um, I appreciate so much the fact that you are following me and listening to me. As always, I say, if you liked it, please share it. If you don't, share it anyway, because it is through through our conversation that true change comes about in the world. Practice listening, practice being kind to each other, especially these times as we're trying to re-emerge. You can always leave a comment below or you can always send me an email or catch me in on LinkedIn. Thank you very much, Mr.
0: Dante Carter, Carter oh, Media. Thank you so
1: much. I appreciate it, thank you so much.
0: <laughs> and that's all it, folks, boom. <laughs> You've been listening to Closing the Gap with Denise Cooper, music provided by Ivan G. Hall. Let me thank the C-Suite Radio for hosting me on their network. Remember to subscribe so you don't miss an episode and always check out the other podcasts on C-Suite Radio, the largest network focused on helping executives do better and be better. As always, let me know how you're doing, what you're facing and what you're struggling with as you try to close the gap, creating a pathway from where you are today to where you want to be tomorrow. Bye.